Good morning, everyone. Today, we're going to be focusing on tricksters and con artists and how to live an ethical life. Not always things you would put together. Um, and in that vein, our opening words comes from Trickster Makes This World, Mischief, Myth, and Art by Lewis Hyde. In America, one likely candidate for the protagonist of a reborn trickster myth is the confidence artist, especially as they appear in literature and film. Most actual confidence artists don't have the range of the imaginary ones and come to sadder ends. Some have even argued that the confidence artist is a covert American hero. We enjoy it when they come to town, even if a few people get their bank accounts drained because they embody things that are actually true about America but cannot be openly declared. As for example, the degree to which capitalism lets us steal from our neighbors, or the degree to which institutions like the stock market require the same kind of confidence the criminal con men need. If the confidence man is one of America's unacknowledged founding figures, then instead of saying there are no modern tricksters, one could argue the opposite, that tricksters are everywhere. Thank <laughs> you. 
Well, good morning. I bet you all didn't realize when you came this morning that you were headed for Sunday Jazz Brunch. But uh, you're going to be treated to some amazing music this morning. And following platform, there's pizza. And in between, we're going to provide some reflections and some thinking and some experiences together that will also feed your soul. So welcome to Sunday Br Jazz Brunch at West. Um, good morning, and my name is Karen Schofield Leka, and my preferred pronouns are per and pers, which is shorthand for person. And I'm so glad that you are all here this morning, and we continue our monthly summertime exploration of creative alternatives. I have to say, it's a little perhaps surprising with that theme to see an unusual um, number of suits up front this morning. We don't usually have that many. Um, although I have to say, what do we think about this? This is pretty fabulous, huh? <laughs> Even I got in on the menswear look today. <laughs> um, but however you have arrived, we are really all glad that you are here. And visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag that helps us to know that you are visiting with us. Uh, we can greet you more warmly than perhaps you ever anticipated. And um, it's a chance for us to, to answer any questions you might have because we love to talk about this community and why it's so important to us. And we're always happy to hear about what it is that you are seeking that brought you here today. Um, we ask that you uh, consider joining us for coffee and cookies after the service. They'll be in the lobby and the social hall. It's a chance to chat with folks. And um, also consider sharing with us your um, email address on the gold sheet that you find in your program. That gives us um, the ability to send you a once a week update about activities that are happening here at WES and beyond our walls that we do together. And you are most welcome to join in in any of those activities. Um, so, I want to ask then everyone to please silence any noisy things that might be in your pockets or your bags. Um, while you're fiddling to get those out, you can check in on social media and let your friends know that you are here and perhaps they will join you in the future. But the electronic silence lets us all be present this morning. At this point, I would like to invite Joe Klein forward to read our statement of purpose so that we may hear our important words in each other's voices. The Washington, the Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. If you're new to our community of children and adults, we warmly invite you to join us as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. And as Joe lights our community candle, I invite you all to join in the words which will magically appear here on the screen. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Bear with me one moment, I have to uh, 
accede to the demands of vision. So each week, we ring this bell in solidarity with people around the world. This week, especially holding in our hearts the young men in the cave in Thailand, their rescuers, and all those who feel lost in the dark or trapped. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now into a time of deeper meditation. Take a moment to settle in your seat. You know, wiggle around a bit, stretch until you find just that right place where your body can be at rest. Close your eyes or let your gaze gently soften. Take a deep breath in and let it out. Continue to breathe deeply and evenly. With each breath in, feel the air expand inside of you as it meets that immediate need for air and for life. Letting the breath out Notice that power to change and connect with the world, a world of silence that at this moment is entirely what we make of it. Each breathing cycle is a reminder to look inwards, to check in with ourselves, and to feel our connections to each other and how our actions ripple outward. With each breath in, think of the needs that you bring with you today and how together we can face and meet them. A path can be found. With each breath out, think of how we can help others to meet their needs, find their paths. 
To breathe is truly to be inspired. Breathe in to find the confidence in yourself. Breathe out and commit to inspire confidence in others. Changes can be made. Our needs can be met. Together, we are enough.
Thank you for that delightful music today. I love that we're having jazz and something a little bit playful to keep with a playful theme. Some might say it's a bold move to come out in front of your congregation and say, you know, there's actually a lot we can learn from con artists. I mean, I ask you to bear with me with this one. I'm, I'm not actually going to advocate that anyone do anything larcenous. Uh, definitely not suggesting you go out into the streets and start a game of three-card Monte or any other street hustle. And if you do, I'm definitely not saying I need a cut. Because <laughs> uh, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a risk. Uh, but I don't want anyone coming back and saying that it was their clergy person that told them to do so. We want to keep things ethical here. It's in our very name. And hopefully, together, we'll still see each other in that light after this platform. Today, we're looking at the con artist as a folkloric or archetypal way as a trickster figure, not looking or advocating to do real harm or petty crimes that were committed by the men, and it was mostly men, that inspired the legends. Looking at them as folklore gives us the emotional distance we need to tackle the subjects and the thoughts that I'd love us to discuss. I want us to be ethical con artists, which is a major step away from the real ones, asking how can we live by our wits, create new opportunities, and inspire confidence in ourselves and each other. How can we embody that trickster myth? The character and the archetype of the trickster has always sort of been a constant inspiration and delight to me. Characters that aren't particularly strong, they're not brave, in fact, they're usually quite cowardly. They fall short of any sense of high honor or renown, and let's face it, they're often lazy. And they only find their solutions as a way to cut down on hard work, working smarter, not harder, right? Sometimes you really have to wonder what they have going for them. And you could say I'm not setting up a great hero right now, not the usual source of inspiration, but to me, it's at least a relatable character. Many characters throughout myth, I can't see myself as the, the superhero, the one who slays great monsters, and possibly you don't see yourselves that way either. But through the trickster, through this person, that only exists through their wits, that just gets by, maybe there we have something to relate to. My first exposure to this sort of classical archetype was in the book, Dalier's Book of Greek Myths. I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with it. It's this big yellow book with the gorgeous illustrations. And in it, there was the story of Hermes, which I loved the most. And it started, Hermes was the merriest of the Olympians was the god of shepherds, travelers, merchants, thieves, and all others who lived by their wits. It then recounts the story of the infant Hermes, a baby that could walk and talk, so bear with me, it's a myth after all. An infant born in a cave in hiding, the son of Zeus and a titan, not the son of Zeus and his wife, Hera, so in order to hide from the wrath of the queen of the gods, Hermes' mother hides in the cave to give birth. And the baby Hermes enters the world and has far too much pride to be born in a cave with nothing. 
So sneaks out one day, finding something greater, and comes across a magnificent pasture belonging to another god. Feeling jealous, feeling betrayed, Hermes figures he has a right to take the cows in this pasture. But knowing that he's just an infant, he can't take them by force, he needs to use his wits. He waits until they aren't being watched, picks the finest of the herd for himself, and in an effort to help sneak them out, he ties sticks to their feet to change their tracks, finds straw to ties to their tails to create brooms that will wipe away any trail of their leaving, and they sneak away into the night. Other hijinks occur, and he's getting close to being caught. Judgment day is coming, and somehow he finds this empty tortoise shell, a few strings, and cobbles together the first lyre, this beautiful instrument to soothe his pursuers, and he ultimately barters a new instrument in exchange for his safety. I mean, what's not to love? The main drama is his own fault. <laughs> he wasn't clever enough to avoid getting into a hot mess, and only just clever enough to get out of it. <laughs> and along the way, though, he creates something beautiful and something new. In folklore, the invention of tools and of new instruments are often attributed to tricksters, something that they're trying to create to just eke out a little bit more enjoyment in life or to save a bit of time. They take elements at hand and find something new and something different, an unexpected path. They also transgress. They open up new opportunities. Hermes himself was the messenger of the gods, connecting humans to the divine. He also helped usher people into the afterlife, connecting life to death. These characters also changed their genders. When we set up a binary, they come along to break that binary. When we say the options are A or B, a trickster will answer three, leaving the alphabet behind entirely. If the same old and the same old is no longer working, these characters find another way. Some beloved cultural value, they'll break. They'll steal fire from the gods and give it to the humans and teach them how to make it. At their best, they offer a new way, or at their worst, they end up with egg on their face and reaffirm why certain values are, remain true. Sometimes noble, sometimes selfish, but always cunning, always looking for change. Afraid to take on a fair fight, but not afraid to try something new. It's that reminder that we don't have to be the strongest or the bravest in life, and we don't always have to be successful. And who doesn't need that lesson sometimes? I know that I certainly do. When we feel like we aren't capable of the tasks that are in front of us, the trickster reminds us to take stock of the surroundings, to see what other options are out there, what other tools are available, and what changes can be made. Then to act on those changes, to not just envision other possibilities, but to work towards them. It may or may not work, but if the new options fails, we can find another path and accept the scrapes and bruises. And if we have success, then we're all the better for it. Which to me starts to bring us to the con artist as trickster. 
I'm drawn here not just because one of my favorite movies growing up was The Sting, that classic Paul Newman and Robert Redford movie about a big con game, these two pull on a mobster to avenge a friend's death. We get some lovable anti-heroes and a villain so evil that it justifies any crime our heroes commit. The con artist is a folklore character that spung, sprung up in response to our so-called American dream. The idea that anyone can get rich and pull themselves up from their bootstraps. I was looking earlier at the Grecian myth of Hermes, but often that just comes off as a history lesson. There's also stories of raven and coyote from indigenous traditions here in America, or Anansi, the spider from African cultures. And these are thought-provoking and powerful stories, but they aren't mine to tell. I don't have the cultural knowledge to put them in place or context, so I won't even attempt to use those figures. But the con artist, the confidence man, those stories sprung up here in the US responding to our own culture's relentless quest for money and power. The rogue that goes after the greedy and the corrupt, the figure that can only take advantage of those who seek to rip off others. I have this delightful book written in the 1940s called The Big Con by David Maurer. It's considered one of the key stone studies of con artistry in America. And Maurer built this study off of numerous interviews with the era, era's best confidence artists, some named, some under only playful pseudonyms like Titanic Thompson, so named because he could sink anyone, and others who wouldn't give their name at all. And this author, though, was clearly very impressed by his subjects, I would say a tad biased. And he writes, though, in the first pages, that although the confidence artist is sometimes classed with professional thieves, he's not really a thief at all because he does no actual stealing. The trusting victim literally thrust a fat bankroll into his hands. It's a point of pride to him that he does not have to steal. He goes on to account that it's often debatable if a crime occurred at all in these confidence games. Dishonesty for sure, but the work of the con artist is to build trust with someone, someone that will hand over money. Confidence first started as a term for these games with one man who would build trust with someone and say, do you have the confidence to trust me with your watch for the day? And people would hand it over, and then he'd just keep it. <laughs> Was that a crime? <laughs> it certainly wasn't right. But in these games, and the system, so much of it hinges on the dishonesty, dishonesty of the mark that they've targeted. The money is always meant to cheat some other system to scam someone else in the long run. These games are designed to cheat people that are willing to cheat others. They say that you can't cheat an honest person and someone with integrity is a terrible mark. Only the dishonest would participate. And it's just this delightful note that this author makes about the perfect mark, that he has this whole page written about it, so I'm just gonna give it in summary. The ideal mark is a man who has inherited wealth and begins to believe that this wealth comes from his own genius. 
and slowly starts to gather people around him that say yes to everything he does. Sycophants, he says, who inspire further and further confidence in this one man. And it's ideal this person then involves, gets some work in real estate, thinking <laughs> that each deal he makes is due solely to his wit and not the wealth that he had, his own genius leading him more and more susceptible. And as I'm reading this, I go back to the front page and copyright 1940 and going, well, he's not writing about who I was thinking of. <laughs> but something about human nature, I don't know. <laughs> uh, or at least this is the, the myth that con artists will tell people when asked about their motives, that they only want to cheat on a, uh, dishonest people. And if I was a cheat, I think I would say the same thing. These characters, though, are known for showing up suddenly in people's lives. They find someone, their mark, that is unhappy with life and wants more. And the con works to get their confidence, to build that trust. The next step is the rope where they bring the mark into the game, continue to build trust, meet this person, figure out what it is they need out of life, and find ways to use that to their advantage. And they use this trust and get the mark to hunger for more, and they devise a, t a plan, a moment called the tale, which is the story about how they can meet those needs and help this person make a large deal of wealth and power quickly. And having done this, the next step is to move into something called the convincer, which they give a little bit of money to this person, show them that what they're doing is legitimate, and they build actual trust, lay the groundwork with something real to build off this rest of the lies. And over the course of a long con, the card artist works to sell this fiction, further elaborate lies and hoaxes. If you've seen The Sting, it's the elaborate fake betting hall that they create, where they have races staged with about 30 other people in the background all working and playing a role to sell a new reality, creating an entirely fictional world in just a moment. No one could help but believe it was real. And after some more elaborate games, the big con is played, the mark loses, and our anti-hero gets out of town. A trickster playing a game, a bit of mischief, dancing that border between good and bad, creating new worlds and opportunities through nothing but wit. With a few words, a couple of props, the con artist makes the mark believe that anything is possible, and for a moment they exist in that space where anything really is possible. I'm not going to say it's admirable, but it sure is enticing. Don't we all want to find that feeling somewhere? Don't we all struggle to think that anything is actually possible? And why does it take this figure to make us really believe that? It's all this process is really just one long piece of improvised theater. An anti-hero setting up elaborate sets, characters, and then putting it into motion. For those of you familiar with improv, it's the idea of yes and that is very much in play. The idea that whatever is presented, the actor has to say yes to. Whatever circumstances arise, whatever new information is presented, the characters say yes, they affirm it. An improv game crumbles the moment someone says no. 
the audience starts to become confused and wonders what's going on and the willing suspension of disbelief is broken. The long con has that similar feel. The mark must believe everything, must come to say yes to the world that is presented. New characters, new sets, all of it, and all of it open to change at any moment. Anytime the mark adds something new or circumstances change, everyone involved says yes. And. Because the artist, the con artist has to respond in a way that makes the person feel heard. But the, with the change too, that's the and part. Building and adapting throughout the process. If the mark has doubts, they improvise to address those doubts. Someone is on the hook and they have to do anything to keep them there and keep their belief, to keep their confidence up. The con is not gonna let this person go till it's payday. And in these folklore and these tales, our anti-hero is always been redeemed just because of the mark's own greed. Someone dishonest gets cheated and we get a rogue that we can root for, someone akin to a Robin Hood figure. But the reality is different because they're not a Robin Hood. They can steal from the rich, but no one's saying these people are giving anything back to the poor. Um, which is why they're better as stories, because the real people participating in those games were stealing from people. The lies, the effort behind it all, that was theft, plain and simple, even if our delightful author from the 40s would disagree with me. Our average profile of a con artist was usually the white middle-class male that just wasn't making it. Someone of privilege that was frustrated by their lack of success in life. They wanted money and felt entitled to it. And often disappointed and bitter they, that they couldn't make it through honest means, they would cheat others. They created schemes. These people used their privilege to assume powerful identities knowing that as they were, if they dressed in a certain way, acted a certain way, everyone would just believe that they were what they presented. A white male in a suit looks believable. You don't know their backstory, but you start to fill in the rest. The Sting, that movie, even has a line that points to the areas of privilege, racism, and discrimination that allowed this character to operate. We're given a character known as Luther, who was played by the actor Robert Earl Jones, a black man. And in response to if he ever played a big, a big con, he challenges the viewer with this simple line, much the effect of, what rich boy would trust me long enough to be conned? And I stand here, myself, a white male from a middle-class background, drawn to this archetype and stories about swindlers and tricksters, especially after health issues made me drop out of college, when I couldn't measure up to the metric of success that most of us use, that measure that one should be wealthy, have a great career, should have power. And in those doubts and that lack of confidence, I started watching these stories and being like, ah, if only I could. Because that dream of wealth and power is what fuels the con artist and their mark. It's that white patriarchal system that tells us that value and worth is tied to financial wealth. 
And I'm not here condemning money or those who have resources. We all need to have safety for our families, to meet our needs, and even deserve comforts along the way. But the issue is when financial wealth becomes the metric of which we judge others and judge ourselves. When a person's wealth is tied to their status, that's the issue. And I've said con and confidence so many times today, but throughout, true confidence in oneself and their worth and trust in others has been missing. So my question really for us all is what makes an ethical con artist? Can we be such a thing? Can we take the basic premise of the con game, finding a mark, a person who is unhappy in, with their lot in life, a person that just wants more, a person that's filled with self-doubt, a person that doesn't feel like they belong, someone that really wants community, wants to feel respect, wants love and connection, but they don't know how to get those things. How many of us have ever felt like that person? How many of us have struggled to find those ways through life? And so much of our answer in this society is money and power will give you those things. And then the con artist came along and basically sold them the same lie. Well, you can get rich, you can find that meaning that you're looking for. With money, the rest will come. Because there's nothing actually that trickster figure about someone just giving you another deal to wealth or power. Nothing is being transgressed. The same system is continuing. It is eliciting greed in you to elicit and feed the greed in me. But that's not the best we can do, is it? So instead, look at the mark. Someone hungry for meaning and connection. And what if the next step, that rope where you bring them in and you build trust, you actually work to build trust and confidence? Actually listening to their needs and letting this person feel heard with no actual long game except for to be heard and to listen and in turn listen and help another person. Spending that time to see their inherent worth and dignity. The traditional con artist was this master of manipulation, but at this stage you could get much the same by just practicing empathy, by really being with another person. You can still, through that moment, build a stage in a new world. You can find a place where you can feel as though anything is possible. But instead of a stage where that feeling is tied to money, we can make it a place where it's the new possibility is love or justice, love in ourselves, love for the world around us. You can give them that convincer because that that convincer, that thing, that genuine peace, that real peace, it's there within a community that has love and trust with each other. You can give someone that hope to see new places, that confidence to take a new risk, to really live the life that they dream about living. Some might call it faking it till they make it, but that's all we're ever doing in life. We all have that lack of confidence and we all step outward and try to fake it. But if we have a community that supports us, and if we can find truth within ourselves, we can make it together. So in the end, in this system, there's no rip-off because the goal isn't money. There's no fleeing into the night because together we can continue to build this world of possibility and change. 
Life can still be that game, but no one has to get burned. That yes and and improv still goes on. Yes, this is the world we have. Yes, there are falls with it. Yes, we are working together. Yes, we affirm each other. And, and what do we change? What are the doubts that you have? How can we help it? And what can we do together? And now I'm feeling like I've gotten dangerously close to saying that religious community is just a long con. Because <laughs> isn't that what we're doing here together, building this community of people, building confidence in each other and in the world and opening up new possibilities? Don't tell Amanda that I said all we're doing here is a con game, please. <laughs> but we do see that hurt in each other's in the world around us, and we extend our hearts with compassion. And that's what makes it an ethical con game, at least. To return to that trickster imagery and legend, they always lead to change. Their antics disrupt the status quo, maybe by creating a new instrument, sometimes by bringing fire into the world. But, and where the American con artists fell short with this myth is they fundamentally didn't change anything. Maybe for their pocketbook or for the victim's well-being, but the status quo was never challenged. One more dirty deal in a world of dirty deals changes nothing, but here together we can continue to change. We can disrupt this whole system that ties wealth to worth. That is living up to the trickster image that is being the ethical con artists. And instead of looking to wealth as worth, we help you find confidence because you are already worthy. If life gets you down, change is possible. There's always possibility with community.